Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Irvindale. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Christ Jesus. Join Pastor Mike as he teaches through the Gospel of Luke. Some of the people Jesus discerned had, had uh, uh, the root of their problem was not a disease, but the work of satanic powers oppressing them. And so he would command the spirits and they would come out. What you see going on here is a wholesale ministry of healing that was indiscriminate, meaning it was not based on merit. He didn't heal people because they deserved it. He didn't cast out demons uh, because they had faith. They were healed and they were delivered based on Jesus' good nature and his good will to touch them and heal them without regard to their merit or their faith. You know, there are people today who claim to have this power. We've seen them on television. Perhaps some of you have seen them live at a, at a crusade. We call them faith healers. And um, basically, the way it works uh, to unleash their healing power, uh, we are told that the person coming must have faith. They must really have faith. And if they don't get healed, then it's usually said they didn't get healed because they didn't have faith. Now, I have a question for you. Is Jesus' power reliant on our faith? Not according to this text. Uh, Jesus healed people of disease. He delivered them from spiritual oppression. And there's no mention of it being predicated on faith. It was predicated on his good will to heal them. That's something to keep in mind. His power is not dependent on our abilities to do anything, but it's dependent only upon his good will to do something. Now, as we think about faith healers and we think about Jesus being the healer, I want to share with you quickly six characteristics of Jesus' healing ministry that sets him apart from the, um, the faith healers of today or even of the era back then. Number one, take note that Jesus healed with a word or a touch. He did not have to whip people into a frenzy before he could do anything. No, the, the problem would simply be presented and he would either speak to that problem or touch them and they would receive their healing. Jesus healed instantly. There was no progressive healing, no waiting for a a week or a month. At the very moment of impact, healing was accomplished. Number three, Jesus healed totally. We see here with uh, Peter's mother-in-law that so complete and so total was her healing that she immediately got up out of her bed and went to serve. She went to to do dinner. She went to serve them and make sure that they were taken care of. That is amazing. She couldn't get up out of the bed before, but now all of a sudden she has the energy. She has the strength. Her body has been healed totally. Number four, on this particular day, we see that Jesus healed everyone. Everyone. Luke is careful to make mention of that. Everyone. No long lines of people who failed to get their healing. Anyone and everyone who came received what they came for. Number five, and I like this one, Jesus healed visible disease, visible maladies. 
right? So often, you know, when you see the faith healers of today, it's always something you can't verify. Lower back pain, indigestion, something's going on that's hidden somewhere else in the body, and you don't know what's really going on. But Jesus touched people who had visible disease and maladies. He restored sight to blind people, and everybody in the community knew that they were blind. Um, He took away leprous skin. That's amazing. He would restore hearing. All kinds of things. But the one that's really differentiates Jesus from the faith healers of today is number six. Jesus raised the dead. I'm not seeing anybody doing that. And so that, that, that shows where his authority and power is coming from. As for casting out demons, verse 41 says that when they, when they came out, like the one in the synagogue that morning, they would speak of Jesus' identity as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And when they did this, just like there in the synagogue, Jesus would hush them up. Jesus would say, shut your mouth. Jesus would command them not to speak anymore. And as I sat there this week uh, thinking about that, I, I was wondering why would Jesus do that? I mean, if, if the demon spirits were giving testimony to his true identity, then why would he not want that? Why would he not want them spreading far and wide who he really is? And there could be several answers to that, but the one I'm going to share with you is this. Because to have his identity affirmed by demons would create confusion about where Jesus was getting his power to do what he did. You say, oh, that sounds silly. No, not at all. Later on in his ministry, we find that's exactly what happened when the Pharisees accused Jesus of getting his miracle working power from Satan. And you'll find that in Matthew chapter 12 or Mark chapter 3. And when they accused him of casting out devils and demons by the power of Satan, Jesus responded decisively, exposing the ridiculousness of this idea that Satan would cast out Satan. That makes no sense. If I get my power from Satan, why would Satan want to do harm to his own work? And then remember the statement he told them that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And so it did happen. And no doubt that is one of the reasons why he did not want them affirming who he is. So we find here that Jesus is demonstrating his authority right out in the open where everyone can see. He demonstrated his authority over the demon realm, over the spirit realm, freeing people from oppression and, and, and possession of demonic spirits. And he demonstrated his authority over the physical realm, uh, healing people of all manner of disease and physical malady. Now, it seems that this probably went on all night long, or at least long into the night. Because the next thing that we see being revealed about this situation is we find Jesus leaving the crowds behind, going out to find a deserted or a secluded place. Never forget this. It's so easy to do. Never forget that while Jesus is God and never stopped being God, he laid aside the independent use of his attributes as God and he took on human flesh. He was 100% man. And as 100% man, he was spent. He was tired. He needed time to rest. Rest is not a bad thing. Rest is a good thing. And if we drive ourselves to the, to the last nub, we're only asking for trouble. 
So Jesus knew the limitations of the flesh. He, he needed time to rest. He needed time to commune with his father in prayer. But like a lost puppy who follows you everywhere you go because you fed it, the people came looking for him. What did they want? What did they expect? What was their motivation? Were they looking for more healing? Were they looking for more deliverance? Were they looking for more miracles? No doubt the motivations of the people who were seeking him out are many. But the bottom line is this. They found magic in Jesus and they weren't about to let him go. So we find that when they found him, they surrounded him. They clung to him. They compelled him to remain with them. I'm picturing in my mind that that their minds uh, are filled with imagination of what their town or their village might be like if Jesus would consent to stay with them indefinitely. No doubt they're thinking to themselves, what other great things might Jesus do for us that would benefit us if we can convince him to stay with us? And that brings me to truth point number two. That not everyone who embraces Jesus does so because they see their need of spiritual rescue and right standing with God. Some people do. Some people embrace Jesus for that reason uh, exclusively, and that's the right reason to embrace him. But some people see Jesus as their ticket to the good life. And so their motivation really isn't about their spiritual condition. It really isn't about right standing with God, but about how this miracle worker can do something more for me. Some people believe perhaps that if they put forth an image of believing in Jesus, that he'll heal their body. Perhaps someone thinks, if I faithfully listen to his stories, I go to church and listen to that blowhard up on the stage and listen to those stories week after week, surely he'll help me reach my sales goals. Some people think if I promise to be good and I promise to go to church and I stand up for the right causes, he will surely protect me and no harm will come my way. I mean, those are some of the thoughts that people have when they're outside of the spiritual need that they have. But one thing we see here that's for sure, the desires of the people and those of Jesus were on opposite ends of the pole. The people of Capernaum were interested in retaining the miracle worker for themselves. Jesus was interested in taking the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities. Now, I said Jesus was interested in, In all reality, it was more than interest. It was his mission. He said, this is what I was sent for. He was sent to announce, to bring, to model the kingdom of God. It sounds pretty important. So what is the kingdom of God? You know, when people think of a kingdom, they typically think of a place. But the kingdom of God is not a place as much as it is a time or a condition of being. A time or a condition of being. Think of it like this. A kingdom is the sphere in which a king exercises his authority and power. A kingdom is where a king is sovereign. And so it is with the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is where God's authority and power hold sway over everything that goes on. Jesus was talking about this in the synagogue a few weeks earlier there in Nazareth. When he pulled out that, that reading from the 
from the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus was basically teaching them that the kingdom of God is when the poverty of sin becomes the riches of grace. The kingdom of God is when the brokenhearted are mended and made whole. The kingdom of God is when captives of spiritual darkness are delivered into spiritual life. The kingdom of God is when the spiritually blind are given sight. The kingdom of God is when the oppressed are set free to live in the good grace of God. Without regard to place, without regard to location, the kingdom of God is when the will of God is uncontested. And his creation is set free to be what they were intended to be. The importance of this is demonstrated in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus began to teach the disciples how to pray. I call it the model prayer. Many of you know it as the Lord's Prayer. But when Jesus began to teach on prayer, he taught this. He said that when you begin to pray... You need to begin by giving reverence, honor, and praise to the Father. You need to reverence His name. You need to worship Him. You don't just rush into His presence and start asking for a whole lot of stuff. Take the time to recognize and acknowledge who He is. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.